Welcome to the Broadband Bunch, a podcast about broadband and how it impacts all of us. Join us to learn about the state of the industry and the latest innovations and trends. Connect with the thought leaders, pioneers, and policymakers helping to shape your future through broadband. Join us on Facebook at The Broadband Bunch and see the latest episodes, news, and photos. The Broadband Bunch, as always, sponsored by ETI Software. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Broadband Bunch. I'm Craig Corbin. Thanks so much for joining us. Long before the global pandemic of 2020 shined a white-hot spotlight on the need for access to digital learning by students nationwide, an organization based in the Bay Area of San Francisco had long been hard at work making high-speed broadband a reality in schools across the country. Education Superhighway was founded in 2012 with the mission of upgrading internet access in every public school classroom in America. Funded by national philanthropic organizations, including the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, and the Salesforce Foundation, Education Superhighway has also had support from America's leading CEOs and governors of all 50 states. After achieving a success rate for better than 99%, the effort was slated to sunset in the fall of this year. Instead, the pandemic revealed another related challenge, America's homework gap, where upwards of 10 million students don't have connectivity at home. And so it was back to the drawing board for the Education Superhighway team with a new effort, Digital Bridge K-12. Our guest today is the founder and CEO of Education Superhighway, Evan Marwell. After a quarter century spent as a serial entrepreneur in the telecom, software, and hedge fund industries, Evan decided that the second act of his career would be about giving back, and that he has done. Evan has been honored with the World Changing Ideas Award, Top 30 Technologists, Transformers, and Trailblazers, along with the 2015 Visionary of the Year honor by the San Francisco Chronicle. It is a pleasure to welcome the founder and CEO of Education Superhighway, Evan Marwell. Evan, welcome to the Broadband Bunch. Well, it's great to be here, Craig. Absolutely. It is so exciting. And when we look at what has been going on for now eight years, so important, obviously now, but take us back, if you will, to the formative years of Education Superhighway. Well, back in 2012, as, as you said so eloquently in your introduction, we uh, decided that it was time to make a difference in the world. And, and we stumbled upon this problem, which was that across the education spectrum, people were starting to turn to technology as a way of improving education and more importantly, leveling the playing field for students across America. But there was one fundamental problem that all of the best laid plans of these folks relied on having great internet access in every public school classroom so that teachers and students could use technology for teaching and learning. And the reality was that back in 2012, less than 10% of the classrooms in America actually had enough broadband coming to the classroom 
that technology was even an option. So of the 47 million students in America's K-12 public schools, only 4 million of them actually had the opportunity to start using technology. And so we focused on that problem. We said, this is a problem we can solve, and we're going to go out and do it. And we spent the last eight years working in partnership with advocacy organizations, with governors from all 50 states, with school district leaders, and with service providers to solve that problem. And I'm pleased to say that at the start of the school year, this year, 99.7% of those 47 million students now have great internet access in their classroom. They've got Wi-Fi in every classroom. And the only problem is that very few of them are actually at school. And that part of the equation uh, came into play with regard to what had been originally the plan to sunset the organization in the fall of this year. But, you know, with, with such phenomenal success, and you, you, you gave that initial percentage, what a daunting task it was. But success just on the cusp of having 100% nationwide. And now you've pivoted the organization to an even more important part of that equation. Yeah. So in March, when the pandemic hit and we sent essentially all of America's students home to learn from home, what became very clear was that the homework gap, which impacted probably about 30% of the students in America, so somewhere between 10 and 15 million students across the country, students who couldn't participate in remote learning because they didn't have an internet access connection. And so what was termed the homework gap and had been historically left up to families to, to solve suddenly became the learning gap because these students couldn't go to school. They couldn't go in the spring and huge numbers of them still couldn't go to school in the fall because they didn't have an internet access connection. So in March, my phone started ringing. I started getting calls from DC, from policymakers there saying, what should we do to address this problem? I started getting calls from governor's offices around the country. What should we do to address this problem? And I started getting calls from superintendents saying, what should we do to address this problem? And so while I had not been willing to sort of point education superhighways resources at the, the homework gap while we were working on getting the schools connected, I knew that we had to make a pivot uh, because what's the, what's the point of having the schools connected if nobody's there? We've got to make sure that all of these kids can learn from home. And even once schools reopen, we've got to make sure that the homework gap impacts as few kids as possible so that they're not at a disadvantage now that we're seeing more and more and more teachers make digital learning a part of the assignments that they're handing out to students. And would you agree that at this point, regardless of what transpires uh, with the pandemic uh, as, it, uh, as it progresses, that digital learning will continue to be a part of that educational process going forward? Yes, there's, there's really no question about that. As we've been talking to state and district leaders across the country, we're hearing the same message over and over again, which is we're not going back. We've, we've realized that you know digital learning, while it's had its certainly bumps in the road as we've tried to implement it across the entire country in an incredibly short period of time, 
teachers, students, administrators, state leaders, they're all seeing that this can be an incredibly valuable piece of how we educate students. And so, you know, if, if we had, you know, maybe a third of our school districts across the country that were one-to-one, i.e. every student had a device that they could take, take home with them before the pandemic, you know, we're probably north of 70% now and, and I see us heading at a rapid pace to 100%. So having a device is great, but they realize we've got to make sure that everybody's got the internet access connection they can use going forward at their homes so they can continue to take advantage of the benefits that people are seeing. Yeah, given that uh, another daunting challenge, how did you and your team begin the process of figuring out your game plan, so to speak? Yeah, exactly right. So when we when we got these calls in March, I sort of pulled my my leadership team together and I said, "Okay, what are we going to do about this?" And and we realized that the first thing we needed to do was create playbooks for both districts and states to do a couple of things. Number 1, figure out which of their students were and weren't connected. It, you know, it seems crazy, but the fact is that school districts really don't know which of their students have internet access at home. And so that's where the starting point was. And and ironically, that was also the starting point for our work connecting schools. You know, when we started back in 2012 and we went to state leaders and we went to the Federal Communications Commission, which was funding uh, a lot of the broadband, 70% of the broadband costs in America's public schools. And we said, well, do you guys know who is, who does and doesn't have good connectivity? And the answer was no. And what we realized was that by getting that data, we suddenly had the ability to put together a thoughtful plan that people could get behind because they could see, oh, these are the schools that need to be upgraded. It's no longer this amorphous problem. And because it's this finite group of schools, I can imagine that we can get this work done. So the same is true with connecting kids at home. If we don't know which of the which of the 47 million kids don't have internet access, it's really hard to get them connected. So that was the first playbook. The second thing was, okay, once you know who they are, how do you actually procure internet access for them? Yeah, as I said earlier, historically, internet access at home was the responsibility of families. But states and school districts with the pandemic realized that they can't allow this to just be the responsibility of families anymore because the same families that couldn't afford internet access before or didn't have access to internet access at their homes before were still in the same position, if not even worse, because of the pandemic. So we had to help school districts think about how do you procure internet access in bulk? What kinds of internet access should you procure? procure? What are the processes to go through that to, to connect kids at home? And then the third piece was devices. Now, it was interesting. Our school districts across America had purchased literally tens of millions of devices over the, the previous three to five years. But most of those devices were sitting on laptop carts to be used at school only. Right. And so the idea of sending devices home was a brand new one and they needed a playbook for quickly setting up a device lending program. So we basically set to work trying to sort of build playbooks for for each of those three things and to help states understand how they could most effectively support their districts uh, in, in 
getting all the kids connected and 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 with a device. And and that was really the first probably four or five months of the work that we did on K twelve, uh, on, on Digital Bridge K twelve. This is the Broadband Bunch. We're visiting with Evan Marwell, the founder and CEO of Education Superhighway. And Evan, you made mention of that first piece of uh, the playbook, and that was determining who did or did not have uh, connectivity. And quite honestly, of the three uh, challenges there, from a layman's standpoint, I would consider that perhaps to have been the biggest challenge. Absolutely. This was the biggest challenge. And, you know, what we saw happen in in March and April when the pandemic hit was we saw school districts suddenly saying, oh, my gosh, we've got to figure this out. And so what did they do? They sent out surveys. And in many cases, they sent out surveys via email. And (laughs) if you don't have Internet access at home, it's going to be pretty hard to respond to an email survey. But look, schools were were desperate, right? They were just trying everything they could think of to sort of learn the answer. And and the reality is they would only get sort of 30 to 40 percent response rates uh, to to those those surveys. And so they made some progress, but not nearly enough. And so. We said, you know, there's got to be a better way. And so we started working on a bunch of other approaches, you know, phone banking, text banking, um, stuff that we were able to actually drive those those response rates up to 80%, but it still wasn't good enough. And then we saw something really innovative happening in two places in this country. Uh, in, in the state of North Dakota, led by their Department of Education, and in the city of Chicago. Pretty and diverse. Yeah, very diverse. We're talking as urban as you get and as rural as you get. And um, so, and and what they were doing that was so fascinating was they said, "Okay, we're going to take a different approach to solving this problem of figuring out who is and isn't connected. We're going to give the addresses of all of our students anonymized, so there's no uh, you know personally identifiable information, no names, anything like that." We're going to give that to the service providers in our state or the service providers in our city, and we're going to ask them to tell us who is currently a customer, i.e. who has internet access, and of the people who aren't currently customers, which of those could you serve within 10 days? Which basically means they've already got infrastructure at the home, and and it just needs to be turned on. And when Chicago told me they were doing this, I, I, I laughed. I said, you know, there's no service provider on this planet that has ever given out their customer information like that. There's at any no time. Way, at any time, for any reason. They won't even give it to the government. And, <laughs> um, and, and I said, there's no way they're going to do this. And then a, a week later, I got a call back from Chicago and they said, they're doing it. And I was like, you're kidding. And, uh, and sure enough, they went through. Um, Chicago discovered that it had 100,000 out of its 350,000 students that didn't have internet access at home, mm. that, those, that those students were in 60,000 homes, and that 92% of those students could be served by existing infrastructure that was already in place from either the telephone company or a cable company. And so then they went out and with money from uh, philanthropists in Chicago, they went and they they procured 60,000 internet access lines and uh, they have been steadily deploying them to all of those folks. 
So I saw this and I said, this is amazing. And North Dakota basically did the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I said, we've got to take this to scale. This is the solution to the problem of figuring out who is and isn't connected. And this is what unlocks the ability to really solve this problem at scale. So I went to the four major internet service providers associations, the, the, the Cable Association, uh, U.S. Telecom, which is the major service provider association, um, NTCA, which is the rural, the rural telecoms, um, and ACA Connects, which is the smaller cable companies. Right. And I went to them and I said, look what's happening in Chicago and North Dakota. This is a game changer for kids. We've got to do this nationally. What do you think? And they were like, great idea. And I was like, really? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, let us go talk to our members. And we, um, and so I said, great. So we worked out a set of five principles that we, that they, they would approach their members to agree to. And they went and approached their members. And I was completely blown away because we now have every major service provider, internet service provider, except one, and and literally dozens and dozens of smaller internet service providers around the country. So we've got now providers who cover in excess of 80% of the country that have agreed to participate in this program. And for me, like if you had told me this would happen a year ago, I would have laughed and I would have said, there's no chance in the world that, that service providers would do this. But just as service providers really stepped up to get schools connected, they're now stepping up to help solve this problem. And I couldn't be more thrilled. You know, quite frankly, Evan, uh, it's both mind boggling and refreshing and inspiring to hear you relate the buy-in that you got literally across the board uh, from the provider standpoint. And and, uh, that I would view as a huge victory um, in this process. And I know that uh, for you and your team, once you saw what was happening first in Chicago, North Dakota, and then across the board, that you had to feel that you were really getting close then to having the the successful uh, equation. Yeah, that's right. I, I mean, I think, look, this this is the beginning. So what we learned from our work connecting schools, as I said before, is once you have the data, you can take the problem from being this amorphous thing that nobody can get their head around how to actually solve, and therefore nobody's willing to take a risk on trying to solve it, to a very clear, concise problem that says, okay, these are the kids that we need to connect. This is how much money it's going to cost. These are the providers that need to be involved. And you can, and it becomes an execution problem much more than a like, how the heck are we going to do this? Sure. And so, you know, it worked with schools and I am a hundred percent convinced that it is going to work to close the, the homework gap for kids. But beyond that, I actually think this could be the solution to solving the digital divide in America. Because when you look at the digital divide for our country, it's the same problem. We don't know who is and isn't connected, and therefore we can't solve the problem. And the good news is that I think, well, you know, most of the attention gets paid to, you know, people who don't have any broadband infrastructure available to them. 
The fact is that probably 80% of the digital divide is with people who have broadband infrastructure available at their home. They just can't afford it. And because we don't know who they are, we can't do anything to help them. Well, you've hit the nail on the head. And and quite honestly, it is uh, so exciting to know that uh, the, the, uh, the solution for the digital divide, A, is incredibly simple. And you and your organization have already proven that there is a way to get buy-in from everybody across the board to, to get the, the correct data to answer uh, the problem. And so that, you know, quite, quite frankly, I think speeds the process tremendously over what we have seen being the challenge of proper data mapping over the, the past number of years. That is such a huge and vital part of that conversation. Yeah, no, I mean, data mapping of the infrastructure is absolutely critical, especially for solving the part of the puzzle, which is the people who have no options available to them. You know, that's why we're big supporters of the the Broadband Data Act that Congress passed. It's incredibly important that that gets funded and we get underway with mapping that infrastructure. But the other thing is, there's another piece of data that we really need, which is, who doesn't doesn't subscribe to broadband internet? Sure. Because as I said before, that's actually the bigger problem. But the Bridge to Broadband program gives us a path to getting that done. And the other thing that happens is once we have that data, it becomes much easier for policymakers to step up and put the money up to solve the problem. And that, again, is what we saw happen with schools. Once we had the data about what needed to be done to solve the K-12 school broadband gap, we were able to get the Federal Communications Commission to increase broadband funding by $2.5 billion a year through their E-rate program. That is no small feat. But on top of that, we were able to get virtually every state that needed to do fiber construction to their schools to put up matching funds, literally hundreds of millions of dollars of matching funds to pay for fiber construction to their schools as part of that program. And that included some of the most conservative, you know, legislatures in the country. In Montana, you know, they voted 99 to 1 to put up matching funds so that their schools could get connected to fiber. So so I'm a huge believer based on the evidence that once we have this data, we're going to be able to convince policymakers to take the step forward, which is to provide the funding that's needed to then enable all these folks to either get infrastructure built to them or to pay for the the, the internet service on a, on a recurring basis. Well, and how phenomenal that this can be if there is a silver lining to what we've gone through from a pandemic standpoint, being able to get buy-in across the board, both sides of the aisle, nationwide, to address this huge digital divide. Uh, I can't be more happy. Yeah, no, I mean, look, the pandemic has been incredibly hard for everybody in this country, you know, and especially for kids. But but I but I agree with you. You know, there are some silver linings that I believe are going to come out of the pandemic if 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 we're if we take advantage of them. One of them is going to be the acceleration in the adoption of digital learning in schools, uh, and another is I think I hope is potentially major progress 
that we're going to have an opportunity to make against solving the digital divide. And the, and the thing that's really interesting about that is, you know, we've been talking about the digital divide for 10, 15 years, but really haven't made very much progress. And, sure. and, and the reason for that really comes down to two things. Number one, we haven't had the data to actually come up with a viable solution. And number two, we haven't had the political will to pay for it, in part because we haven't had the data. Well, now we have a shot at the data, and I think the pandemic has created the political will to actually say, we've got to solve this problem. Because if you don't have internet today, as, as your listeners know, you can't go to school, your, your job opportunities are dramatically limited, you can't get health care, you can't take advantage of government services, you can't stay connected to your friends and family and your community. I mean, it is almost as important today as electricity and food are. I w- cannot agree more. And there are many that, that consider you know, connectivity to be uh, a utility uh, essential only behind electricity for our uh, continued existence. And um, you know, what, what's exciting is the momentum that you and your organization have created in this process that uh, I think the ripple effects uh, will be felt long and wide, far and wide, uh, across uh, across the country. Well, let's ho- let's hope so. There, there's obviously still a uh, a ton of work to do. Uh, you know, we we now have opportunity, and it's it's time for execution. And I'm I'm really encouraged because service providers are are stepping up and following through on the commitments they've made as part of this program. States are now coming to the table and saying, "Okay, we want to do this," and and so we're going to start seeing it get executed. Um, so we have opportunity here, and and I think. You know, I'm seeing green shoots in in Congress and and at the state level of of folks coming up with funding, at least in the short term. We we definitely need a longer term solution. Um, But the reality is, I believe we're now in a place where we have an opportunity to close the digital divide in this country, to, to, to make massive progress in the next four years and to truly close it 10 years from now. And and honestly, if we haven't closed the digital divide by 2030, it's only because we lack the will to do so. And shame on us if it doesn't happen. Exactly. Yeah, well, I can't be more uh, excited to learn what you and the team there at Education Superhighway uh, have accomplished, are accomplishing, will accomplish going forward, and would love to be able to visit with you down the line for an update on these efforts. Absolutely. Uh, You know, as someone said the other day, this may be the most important issue of our of our generation right now, maybe second to climate change. Uh, but uh, but uh, uh, we've got a real chance to solve this problem. And you know, everybody who is part of upgrading schools um, couldn't feel better about what they've contributed and getting that done. That's put us in a position to get this done. And everybody who participates in this is going to feel like they've made a real difference in the world. So thanks for having me, and and it'll be great to check back in with you. Absolutely, and thank you so much again for being uh, with us today. That's going to wrap up this edition of the Broadband Bunch. On behalf of everyone, I'm Craig Corbin. Thanks so much for letting us be a part of your day. We'll see you next time right here on the Broadband Bunch. Broadband Bunch.